Well, I thought sort of as an introduction for tonight, I kind of, I wanted to kind of talk about the weekend a little bit and, and the favorite part of my weekend. And uh, it's, it's sort of going to be a kind of recommendation to you as well. Um, and it's about a game. I want to recommend, recommend to you a, a, the most wonderful game. There's some people laughing because you know what I'm talking about. This game is, is called Anomia. Anomia, and uh, it was just a, a wonderful game. Thank you to the Moons, Ben and Elise, for bringing it. Uh, it, it, it only requires a few things. The Anomia cards, it requires the Anomia cards. You've got to have these special little cards. Um, it also re- requires some common knowledge, common knowledge. I think one of the phrases on the box is uh, the game where common knowledge becomes extremely fun or something of that sort. And then here's the last thing, and this is the most important, a rambunctious spirit. You got to have that when you play this game Uh, because it is just a lively game. I actually remember it was, uh, I think it was Friday night and I was working on a paper, trying to finish a paper that I I had for a class. And I just remember people screaming and just shouting behind me. And I was just like, what's going on? It just sounds kind of chaotic, if you will. Um, And then I got to playing the game and and there I was in the midst shouting and screaming myself. And I I thought I was going to die during this game. I really do. I really thought I was going to die because, uh, again, it just gets your blood pressure high. And uh, anyway, it was, a, it was a great game. But in all seriousness, it really, really was a wonderful weekend. It was great speakers and just such an encouragement. So for those of you who, don't, who didn't make it, got to make it next year. It's, uh, no, I know a lot of you guys have work, and, and that's okay. But if you can, those winter retreats are just a good time to be able to to kind of step back away from school and other things and, and relax. So anyway, uh, if you will, uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, that's where our hard saying is for tonight. You guys been enjoying this hard saying series? That's not what I, I was expecting. Have you guys really, really been enjoying this series? Oh. <laughs> Wait a second. It was quiet the second time. So typically, you get louder. So I won't, I won't try that again. That failed. That failed. Uh, but this has been a great, a great series. And uh, again, we come to another hard saying, Matthew chapter 7. We come again to this uh, immortal Sermon on the Mount. It's great. We're studying in our community groups, and we just can't get enough of it. And if you can, shame on you. Um, But I want to read for you, we're going to consider verses 1 through 6 of Matthew 7. Let me read it for you first. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. For, or sorry, uh, (laughs) I'll start over. Judge not that you be not judged, verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Uh, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot in turn, to attack you. I want to pray with you guys now. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, I just pray that as we consider it tonight, as we talk about it tonight, Father, that it would get to the heart, and that we know that's what you're trying to do here on the Sermon on the Mount. You're trying to get to the heart 
of the issue. Uh, it's more than external conformities, but it's about changing our heart. And Father, I pray that after uh, we're done uh, with our message, Father, for tonight, uh, Father, that we would think about how the message has hit our heart and uh, that we will walk away uh, asking ourselves how we can put this into practice. Uh, thank you again for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever been a believer for any number of years, you've had, uh, you've had these verses uh, thrown at you, or you've had these verses quoted to you. Uh, verse 1 has often been used by people to support the idea that it is wrong to judge, right? They say that under any and every circumstance, it's wrong to judge. They say, quoting Matthew 7, stop judging me. Didn't Jesus say, judge not? You tell them it's wrong to sleep with their girlfriend or boyfriend, and they say, judge not. Judge not. You tell them it's wrong to have an abortion, and they say, judge not. You tell them it's wrong to use crude language, and they say, judge not. You tell them it's wrong to get drunk, and again, they throw Matthew 7, 1 at you, judge not, lest ye be judged. This verse is sort of used like a weapon for those who live uh, an immoral life and who don't want to have their feet held to the fire of Scripture. This verse is not to be used to support uh, a licentious lifestyle. I'll say that now. As... As we are to learn soon, our Lord here in Matthew 7 is condemning here, or he's not condemning here, any and every type of judgment, but he is condemning a certain type of judgment, a certain type of judgment. It's very sad that these verses here are, or have been carelessly tossed around, used by people to support their, their immoral lifestyles. And even believers have used this. And I say it's sad because in their proper context, this, these verses here, they're very rich, and they provide a lot of spiritual insight for the believer, as we are going to see tonight. And so what I want to do first in considering this, I want to I talk about the significance of Jesus' words in these particular verses um, as a sort of set in the context for you. Jesus has been preaching the word to his believing audience, right? We know that, uh, he sat down on the side of a mountain, and there's a great multitude, and he directed a sermon uh, to the believers, and he has preached the Beatitudes. He, he's preached uh, about the proper view of the law. He's preached on adultery and lying and anger and other things. He, he's preached on the motives for practicing your righteousness, right? That was in chapter 6. He, he's preached on the issue of money, which we looked at in our community groups just this last week, and then we looked at uh, two weeks ago here, he's preached on a lot of things. And I want to ask the question that as Jesus is preaching to the multitudes, what would be the believing, what would the believing Jew of, uh, of his day say as he's preaching? Or what would have been their tendency as he's preaching the sermon? It would have been this. Oh man, I can't wait to tell this to Sally. I can't wait to get this to Sally. She really needs to apply this to her life. Oh, I really can't wait to bring this, this sermon that Jesus is preaching uh, to me, to Mike, because he really needs to apply this to his life. Man, anger? John really has anger issues. I can't wait to get this to him. Adultery? 
Oh, I'm glad Jesus pointed this out. I'm glad he pointed this out. Sean really needs this in his life. Rather than looking and examining their own life, the Jews of Jesus' day, even the believing Jews that he's talking to, they would have taken the teaching of Jesus and placed them at the feet of another, first and foremost. And Jesus wants them to examine their own life first and foremost. Jesus understanding uh, the, tendency, the, the tendencies of his listeners presents this crucial topic to them concerning judging others. Jesus also is preaching against Phariseeism, and you know that. That's also, that's also the background of the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon is really, attack, is really an attack at the Pharisees' false religion, right? They were extremely judgmental. Uh, they judge by their own standards. They, they judge others and, and fail to realize their own sin. And they were extremely hypocritical and hypercritical. And so with all this as knowledge, as Jesus comes to this section, as he opens up chapter 7, if you will, the Sermon on the Mount, he, he's, being, he, he's understanding in the back of his mind, okay, these individuals have a tendency to, to, to place this truth that I'm giving to them at the feet of, of others and being taught by the Pharisees, being led by the Pharisees, they're extremely hypercritical and hypocritical. And so Jesus gives these words in Matthew 7. And it's just really, really a masterful, masterful placement, uh, Jesus' words here. And so let's consider what he says first. Jesus says first, judge not. That's at the beginning of verse 1. Judge not that you be not judge. And I want to first talk about what Jesus is not saying here, what he's not saying. Jesus is not teaching that it's wrong to judge under any and every circumstances. And I think most of you guys know this. Here in this same chapter, we are called to judge. Even in the same chapter, we see that notion done away with. Look at verse 15 of chapter 7. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And you ask the question, how do I know a person's false? That requires some type of judgment, right? Here in the same paragraph, not even in the same chapter, but in the same paragraph, we see that notion that says it's wrong to judge under any and every circumstance done away with. In this same chapter, or sorry, same paragraph, look at verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus doesn't say it's wrong. He just says, hey, take this, the log out of your own eye. But then he says, then it's okay to judge. And look at verse 6. He says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. And at the end of this message, we're going to consider what this is actually saying. But even here in, in verse 6, uh, the believer has to be able to distinguish when they're judging who they're talking to, whether it's a brother, verses 1 through 5, or whether they're speaking to someone who's rather obstinate towards the faith or towards the truth. This too involves judgment. And elsewhere in scripture, we are called to judge, ladies and gentlemen. Again, it's everywhere. And I wanna just show you a few places just to kind of eradicate and get rid of this idea that it's wrong to judge. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Looking at verses 15. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or, or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence or two or three witness. If he refuses, 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And the question is, how do you do this? How do you church discipline? You have to assess. You have to judge. Here we see it in Matthew 18. Go over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Again, just doing away with this idea that it's, it's wrong to judge under any and every circumstance. That's not what Jesus is saying back there. Matthew, or John chapter 7, looking at verses, verse 24, speaking to the Pharisees, right, who judge by their own standards. And Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. Here it is. Judge with the right judgment. If someone comes to you and they say, judge not, lest ye be judged. Didn't Jesus say that? You can bring John chapter 7 to them. Jesus is saying, rightly judge people. Rightly judge people. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And you guys know what's going on here. Most of you do, right? Uh, Paul's calling out the sin of an individual and he's really, he's really hitting at the church or he's getting at the church because they've, they've allowed this most heinous sin. There was a man sleeping with, his, with his, his father's husband and Paul calls them out. And then we pick up in verse 11. But, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone, not to associate uh, with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Paul says, have nothing to do with him, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. He says, purge the evil person from among you. This requires judgment. Let's look at one more passage in Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. The guy was sleeping with his, his, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just picked up what I said. The guy was sleeping with his dad's, with his dad's mom, his, or sorry, his dad's, his dad's wife, his dad's wife, his dad's wife. Okay, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5. I noticed some of you guys laughing. I'm like, I must have said something wrong. And, I, and there I said it again. Ephesians 5, verse 11. Look at what Paul says there. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, what does he say? Expose them. Expose them. And even, even if you think of this, this Sermon on the Mount that we, we've been studying, Jesus says right at the end of the Beatitudes and jumping into the next section, be salt and light, right? Be salt and light. And the idea of salt is, is that you're, you're slowing the world down from decaying morally. And this, of course, is going to involve some type of judgments. And guys, there are many other places we can go to do away with this faulty notion. Jesus, back in Matthew 7, when he says judge not, he is not teaching that, it, that it's wrong to, to give any type of judgment under any circumstances. And so let's go back to Matthew 7 to consider what he's actually saying. He says, judge not. What does he mean? What does he mean? And there's three things I think Jesus means here. And the first is this. I think Jesus is saying this. Don't judge hypocritically. Don't judge 
hypocritically? Look at verse 3 of chapter 7. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, out of your eye when there, is, when there is the log in your own eye? And then verse 5, he says, you hypocrite. You, you pretender. You, you phony. Hypocritical judgment is failing to see the, the own sin in your own eye. It's pretending to have it all together, but the exact opposite is true. It involves behaving with false pretenses as you masquerade like an obedient child of God, but you're living a rebellious life. It's being two-faced. Jesus says here, don't do that. First, he's saying don't judge hypocritically, but I also think he's saying this, don't judge hypercritically, hypercritically. And that is to nitpick at the wrong of others. And I also think you get that from verses three and four. As this guy has this, this log in his eye, he, he can see the little speck in his brother's eye. The, the hypocrite can see the tiniest issues in another's life, but they can't see their own faults for some odd reason. They're ready to jump on another sin issue and they are ready to call out the slightest slip up by another. But again, they can't see their own. Jesus saying, don't judge hypocritically, but don't judge hypercritically. And then lastly, I think Jesus is saying this, don't, don't judge ungraciously. Don't judge ungraciously. And, 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 and that sort of ties back with, with, with judging hypocritically. Uh, th this, type of, uh, th this type of unloving, ungraceful judgment is what Jesus is, is condemning here. It lacks grace. And those who fall into this category, though their sins are constantly passed over by God, they themselves can't seem to pass over the smallest issues in other people's life. This is what Jesus is condemning, ladies and gentlemen. J.C. Ryle commenting on what Jesus said here, he said this, listen. He says, what our Lord condemns here is a censorious, and that's a, to give a synonym, critical, and fault-finding spirit. A censorious and fault-finding spirit. A readiness to blame others for trifling offenses or matters of indifference. A habit of passing rash and hasty judgment. A disposition to magnify the errors and the infirmities of our neighbors and make the worst of them. This, he says, is what our Lord forbids. And he's spot on. Jesus isn't doing away with any type of judgment. He's doing away with hypocritical judgment. Hypocritical judgment. Judgment that lacks grace. And not only does Jesus just say, judge not, not only does he say, don't judge like that, again, here in this passage, he gives us reasons as to why we shouldn't judge in that way, as to why we shouldn't judge in that way. And the first thing he says is in verse one, he says, judge not, look at it again, that ye be not judged, that you be not judged. And so the first reason as to why we, we shouldn't judge others in this hypocritical way is because Jesus will judge us if we do. Jesus will judge us. And what Jesus means here is that if we judge with this type of spirit, he will punish us for that type of behavior. Jesus is saying that if we choose to possess such a spirit uh, as believers uh, that, 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 again, is, is un ungracious to those who, who make tiny faults, he will do the same with us in return. Actually, I want you to see this, what Jesus is really, really saying. Go over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, this is Luke's rendering of the Sermon on the Mount. Luke 
looking at verse 37. Sorry, I said chapter 7. Chapter 6, verse 37. And look at what Luke says. He says, judge not. Again, this is just his telling of the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. And and, and then he says, forgive, and you will be forgiven. What is Jesus saying here? He's warning us that if we treat others so harshly, what? That we're going to be judged by him. That that we're going to be condemned by him. And that if we don't forgive, right, you guys remember going out in your community groups, he's going to punish us or, or he is going to discipline us. Guys, the first reason as to why we shouldn't judge with this hypocritical and, and hypercritical type of attitude is because the Lord says he will discipline us if we do that. He'll discipline us. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. The Bible constantly says everywhere that, that, that the Lord reproves those whom he loves. And Jesus says if we judge with that type of spirit, he is going to judge us or he is going to punish us. But Jesus gives another reason, another reason, and that's in in verse 2. He says, for for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Reason number two why we shouldn't judge with this type of hypocritical and hypercritical attitude is because God will judge us by the same standards that we hold others to unjustly. God will judge us by the same standards that we hold others to. For, for some odd reason, we, when we are being hypocritical and hypercritical, we think that we are exempt from judgment. And Jesus says here, that's not the case. The, the same standards that we hold others to, we will one day be judged by those same standards. In other words, God is not partial. He, he is not partial. He's impartial. And I want to show you this over in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, why don't you go there with me? He says the same measure that you measure with is going to be measured to you. Again, the idea is that God is impartial. He's just. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse, verses 1. He says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, listen to this question, do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do not do them yourself, that's hypocrisy, right, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or, or do you presume on the on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of, of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse six, he will render to each one according to his works. He's, he's, he's not gonna judge you differently is what Paul says. He's gonna judge you according to your works. Verse seven, to, to, to those who by patience and well-doing Seek for glory and honor and, and, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
but glory and honor for peace for everyone who does good to the Jew first and to the Greek only. Here it is. For God, what? Shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the second reason why we should not judge with a hypocritical spirit. It is because the same measure that we judge with, the same standards that, that we, we press upon people, God will one day put them and judge us by those same standards. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. That's the second reason. There's one more reason why Jesus gives as to why we shouldn't judge this way. Reason number one is because God will punish us. Reason number two is because we're going to be measured by the same standard. But reason number three, look at verse three. Why do you see the speck that is in your own brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say uh, 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 to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when, when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. You, you hypocrite. When, when we judge in such a way, reason number three, we blind ourselves. We, we, we fail to see our own sin when we judge in this type of way. There, there's almost a sense in which the illustration that Jesus gives is, is nonsensical. It really is. It's like th this guy is trying to get a splinter out of out of someone else's eye, but he has a two-by-four right in his eye. Just really doesn't make sense, does it? It's like, a, it's like a smoker, right, trying to counsel you through addiction. It's like, wait, wait a second. I think you got this backwards. It's like, it's like having an anger management counselor who, who abuses their spouse. It's like, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. It's like an alcoholic trying to lead an AA meeting. Just doesn't make sense. It's contradicting. It's absolutely foolish. But, but that is how blinding this type of spirit is. When you judge in this way, you blind, your, you blind yourself from your own faults. You guys know that? I mean, this is, this is really crazy that Jesus would say this, is that we, we become so blind when we put on this hypercritical spirit that we can't even see our own sin. Let me show you an example of this over in Luke 18. Luke 18, go to Luke's gospel. The Pharisee and the tax collector. I just think this is a, an unbelievable example of what this looks like. This sort of self-righteous type of spirit. The spirit that can't see the wrongs in its own life, but can notice the wrongs, the small wrongs in, in others. And, and when he told a, a parable to the effect that they had always to, sorry, I'm in yeah, Luke 18, Verse 9, sorry, he, he told this parable to some who tr trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this filthy tax collector. Now, it doesn't say filthy in there, but that's kind of what he's thinking like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, what is, I'm guessing what is he going to do? Is he going to look back at this, this Pharisee and, and, and talk bad about him? Would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Guys, can you see this here in this parable? Then when we have this type of hypocritical, when we, when we live with this false pretense that we got everything together, we fail to see the wrong 
in our own life? This Pharisee was unregenerate. He, he needed salvation, and yet he's looking over at this tax collector, and he's saying, wow, this guy's terrible. And, and yet he was unsaved. And yet he was unsaved. Guys, this is, this is what this type of spirit will do to us. Sure, we might be regenerate, but Jesus back in Matthew chapter 7 is talking to believers. But believers, we, we may not be Pharisees in the sense that we are unbelievers, but, but we can judge in the, in the spirit of the Pharisee. We can judge other people in the spirit of the Pharisee. I'll never forget the time when I was ready to call out another brother's sin, but yet I had anger brewing in my own heart. I, I was angry at this brother, but I was ready to call out, out his sin. And kind of recognizing what was going on in my own heart, I went to my, I went to my, my lovely wife. Um, and uh, for those of you who are married, it's, it's good to have, have your, your best friend. And I went to Rach, and I, and I had to talk to her about what was going on in my heart because I knew something wasn't right. And, and she counseled me, and she helped me to realize that, that I was the one who was in sin, that, that I was the one who was truly angry. In that story, I was, I was acting like a Pharisee. And ladies and gentlemen, we're all prone to do that. If we are hypocritical in our judgments and hypercritical in our judgment, Jesus says back in Matthew 7 that we will blind ourselves. Again, that idea, we're, we're going to have a two by four in our eye, but yet we're trying to get a splinter out of someone else's eye. Just doesn't make sense. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. It doesn't make sense. So reason number one why you shouldn't judge with a hypocritical spirit is because God says he's gonna, he'll, he'll punish you for that. He says that you be not judged. And reason number two in verse two is because that we're going to be judged by the same standards at the end of the age. And we saw that in, in Romans 2. God is not partial. And reason number three is because, is because we're going to be blinded, blinded by our own sin. And, and so now we know how not to judge. That's how we are not to judge. But, but how are we to judge then? Again, Jesus isn't saying any and every type of judgment is wrong. We looked at several passages. But how are we to judge? How are we to speak into a life of a brother and a sister? And I think Jesus gives that in the next verse, in verse 5, or the second half of 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Simply put, how are we to judge? We are to judge our brothers and sisters when we have removed the sin from our own life. When we have dealt with the issues in our own life, then, hear me out, and then only are we in a position to help someone else. Did you hear that? Then and then only, when we, when we deal with the sin that is in our own hearts, are we ready to speak to another person's sin. And guys, at the heart of this command, at the heart of, of Jesus saying, hey, take out the speck in your own eye before you deal with somebody else's, is a call to humility. It's a call to humility. This type of judgment, the right type of judgment that takes the speck out of the eye or takes the log out of the eye before they look at, at the speck uh, requires admitting that we too have struggles with sin and that we too have problems. This type of judgment, the right type of judgment, requires us to admit to our own imperfections and deficiencies before we check in on another. Again, it requires a spirit of humility. And I want to show you this. Actually, go back to Psalm 51. David possessed this, this type of spirit, and you guys know what's going on in Psalm 51. After he's committed this great sin, 
he sort of speaks about this idea of judging once, once, once sin is removed from our own life. I thought this passage was really, really amazing. He's broken after he has committed adultery with Bathsheba. And look at what he says in verse, verse 7. He, he says, purge me with hyssop, Lord, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Lord, Lord, change my heart. De- deal with my sin, Lord, please. Verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart on God and, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit for me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. And then look at verse 13. This is really interesting. Verse 13, then and then only will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Isn't that a fascinating passage? He, he says, Lord, change my own heart. Purge me first and foremost. Create in me a clean heart. Cast me not away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then he says, and then will I be ready to teach transgressors your ways. He he says, then will I be able to lead the sinner back to you. Guys, do you see it? Do you see it? Once we've dealt with the sin in our own life, once we've we've dealt with the sin in in our own heart, then are we ready to lead Another. Let me show you another passage that speaks to this, though. Go flip over to the New Testament, Galatians chapter 6. And we're almost there in our Sunday worship. We're not there yet. Galatians chapter 6. Paul says, brothers, verse 1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual... You who are spiritual, he says, not you who are carnal. You, you who are, are, are being led by the Spirit. You, you who are being controlled and, and filled by the Spirit. E- Ephesians chapter 5. You who, previous to this, are bearing fruit of the Spirit, right? That's Galatians. That's in the Galatians chapter 5. He said that person should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The one who's, again, filled with the Spirit, being guided by the Spirit, Bearing fruit of the Spirit, this doesn't mean perfect, but again, this person is spiritual. They're living a life of obedience, and, 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 and Paul says, you restore the brother who's caught in sin. And even then, even then, when, we have, when we've taken care of the sin in our own life and we're calling out the, the sin in another person's life, look at the end of verse 1. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Lest you too be tempted again. We are not exempt from from falling into sin. We are not exempt. And guys, that's how we should approach calling out others in their sin. Whether it be our wives, whether whether it be our our, our friends, whether it be our parents. We we have to take care of the sin in our own heart before, before we go to address another person's sin. That's what Jesus is saying back in Matthew chapter 7. Why don't you go back there with me now? How not to judge? Hypocritically, hypercritically, ungraciously. How are we to judge? He, he says, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take 
the speck out of your brother's eye. But stepping back, as Jesus is, is giving this, if you will, this, this teaching on judging others, uh, I, I want to point out the warning or, or the caveat when it comes to judging. We, we know how we ought to judge when we've taken care of the sin in our own life, but even then, there's still a warning that Jesus gives when it comes to judging others. And that comes in verse 6. Verse 6, he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And at first glance, this verse has no obvious connection, right? Of verses 1 through 5. And when I came to this pastor, I got to tell you guys, I, I was humbled. I'm like, Lord, what are you, what are you saying here? It just kind of seems to be a little bit of a, of a dick disconnect, but I just want to inform you that Jesus is not jumping to a different ship. He's not jumping to a different topic. Judgment is still the underlying theme. Jesus in verse 5 has just instructed believers that when they judge others, they are to examine their own life first. And then once they do that, then they are free to speak into the life of others. And then keeping that in mind, this verse is a warning to those who have dealt with their sins first and who've actually taken the log out of their own eye, but, but yet they're, they're, they're just trying to judge anyone and everyone. Jesus gives a, a warning here. It's almost as, as Jesus is saying this, hey, yeah, I know you've taken care of the sin in your own life, and, and you're ready to speak into another's life, but beware of those who are in a position, or beware of those who are not ready to receive your judgment, or, or who will not receive your judgment. In, in the first century Jewish culture, uh, these two animals that are mentioned here, the dog and the pig, or some of your versions say the swine, they were at the bottom of the totem pole when it, came, when it came to popularity. Pigs were the most abhorrent animals of them all, and I think you guys know that, right? The Jews hated pigs. There seemed to be no other animal uh, than the swine that was looked down upon. Uh, not only could they not eat it, according to the Mosaic law, but, but the pig in the Jew's mind was seen as the ultimate symbol of disgust. It's just disgusting. And dogs were likewise repulsive. No, that might be hard to believe. They were not man's best friend as they are in today's society. In the first century, uh, they were ugly and mangy creatures, just, just hideous things. Uh, last week, if, if you remember Matt preaching on the parable, right, who, who was right there next to Lazarus licking his filthy sores? It was the dogs, right? It was the dogs. The first century, they were a type of scavenging animal who roamed the streets. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. They would often eat, listen to this, they would often eat on the flesh of dead bodies as they roamed the streets. I, I just, I, I laughed at that when I learned that because I was like, they were just waiting for old Lazarus to die so they can have them a, some type of snack for days. That's why they were right there, and, and they really did. And actually, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament teaches that those who, whose bodies, dead bodies, were consumed by dogs, they were, they were con considered to be cursed. Again, in the first century, dogs were nuanced. And, and I'm sorry that I, I had to reveal that to all of you dog lovers out there, but it's okay. They're love now, right? They, 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 they've received their due love. But Jesus here, as he's talking about dogs, he's using these, these two shameful animals to depict certain unbelievers, certain type of people, unbelievers. Paul, in Philippians 3, referred to the Judaizers as what? Dogs. He says, watch out for what? Dogs who mutilate the flesh. 
who mutilate the flesh. In Revelation chapter 22, Jesus calls uh, uh, one of the unbelieving groups that will be denied access to heaven, he calls them dogs, right along those who are immoral, who are outside the city gate, who, who will not enter into the new heaven, the new Jerusalem, the, the new earth. He calls them dogs. And so again, dogs and swines here in this verse represent a type of unbelieving people, uh, an obstinate group of people, a, a people who have no appetite for the truth, a people who want nothing to do with the truth. And Jesus says here that believers are not to give it to him. They're not to give it to him. They're not to give him that which is precious. They're not to give him that which is a pearl. And of, and of course, the pearl represents the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, the truth of this sermon that he's preaching. Don't give this to him if they're an obstinate group, if they're dogs or, or swines, a type of savage people. And why would Jesus warn believers not to do that, guys? You got to think, why? The, the all-compassionate Lord, why would, why would he do that? Well, look at the end of verse 6. Here's the reason why. Lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. V verse 6 says that they trample on the truth. This is why we shouldn't do it. This is why we shouldn't, even after we've checked our own hearts and, and we're ready to speak into another person's heart, we should discern who we're speaking into the life of. Because certain people, into verse 6, will trample the truth. They'll treat it with contempt. They'll revile it. They'll blaspheme the word of God. Verse 6 also says they might, not only might they trample on it, that's the swine, right? Doesn't understand the preciousness of the pearl and they just run over it. But the dog, right? They turn and attack you. That's what Jesus says at the end of verse 6. This is speaking of persecution, Jesus is in some way trying to protect the believer. He, he's warning them in your judgment, guys, be careful who, who you speak to. Some might persecute you. Some might revile you if you speak the truth of it. Some might mock you. Such people exist, ladies and gentlemen. Such people exist that want absolutely nothing to do with the truth. And so Jesus says, don't give them the truth. Don't give them the truth. Even if we are in the place of judgment, even if we have checked our own hearts and taken the log out of our own eye, we still have to be discerning and not give the truth to these certain type of unbelievers. You know, I'll never forget the time when one of the street preachers refused to answer the question of a scoffer who stood afar. You guys know this up in the spring when the weather's a little nice. Sometimes the street preachers come out, and I guess they came out this fall uh, uh, semester, and as they're preaching the scriptures, you have certain people who are, you know, they're asking genuine questions and they're getting into good conversations. But then you just have the scoffers, the people who are so obstinate. They can't stand. They, they think it's arrogant. You, you bigot to come out and say Jesus is the only way to salvation. And then I'm going to suffer in hell if I don't. They, they can't stand it. They hate the truth so much that they're out there doing whatever they can do whatever they can to get rid of him. And this guy one time, this scoffer was speaking to him and he kept bringing up this verse. What about this verse in the Old Testament? You see this verse in the Old Testament, what is it saying? He did it for hours because I was right there alongside of him. And he would not answer his question and he would keep saying, you don't want to know the truth. You don't want to know the truth. You're just here to argue. You're just here to prove a point. He was obedient to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, 6. He, he would not throw the precious truth of the word of God to this scoffer, 
to let him devour it, to let him, to, to use it as, as, a, as, as some type of weapon to attack him. He wouldn't do it. And guys, Jesus is saying the believer shouldn't do it as well. The believer should not do that. Can, can I just show you one verse that, that models this? Go to Acts chapter 19. Paul's preaching like he always does, right? <laughs> Doesn't know anything else, really. Chapter 19, verse 1. He's come to Ephesus, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And, and they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what have you been baptized? And he said, into John's baptism. And Paul, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who, who, he, who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On, on bearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and, and began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And they were about 12 men in all. Verse 8, and when he entered into the synagogue, this is after this miraculous event has just happened, he, he preaches. Three months, it says, he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But they repent, verse 9. But, but when some became stubborn and continued in their unbelief, you, you see this? It wasn't just one time. It was just a continuance, a continuing type of unbelief, speaking evil of the way. There's the trampling over the foot. There's the trampling over the, over the pearl. Before the congregation, what did he do? He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him and went somewhere else. He went somewhere else. You see this, ladies and gentlemen? Paul was being obedient to Jesus' words. Again, after a continuing unbelief, he would not give the truth to these individuals anymore. He left. And is this not what Jesus told his disciples to do when he sent them out two by two, right? He says, if they accept you, give them peace. He says, but if they don't accept you and they're sort of obstinate, what, is, what did he say? He says, shake off your feet and move on. Shake off your feet and move on. And so what's the idea of what Jesus is saying back, back in Matthew 7, 6, guys? He's saying this, even though when you're ready to judge, you still have to be discerning as to who you bring the truth to. Is it a brother and he's going to accept it, Right? Or, or, or is it a scoffer? And he's, is he going to turn and attack you? You guys see the connection? And so as a conclusion, I want to I just give you guys some exhortations in light of what Jesus said back in Matthew 7. First is this. We must be slow to call out others' sins. We've got to be slow, guys. God has been gracious to us, has he not? And we are to be gracious to others. Number two, we must be patient as God is patient with us. Again, and this kind of ties back to that, slow to anger. We must be patient. We, we, we must not nitpick at others' faults. We can't be nitpicking. We, we, must, we must be sure to examine our own lives before approaching another brother in sin. Again, Jesus said, take the log out of your eye. Then, and then only will you see clearly to speak into another brother's life. And we must be discerning, the last thing. We must be discerning as to whether or not the person we are judging is the one who's going to receive it. The truth we bring to the individual and we try to teach them and, sh and show them that they're not living the right way. And, and, and this goes for unbelievers, right? Repent. 
repent. We even have to be discerning when we do that as to whether or not the individual we're bringing it to will receive it because the truth is precious, amen? And we don't toss it around to anyone who's just going to trample on it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your, your precious word. Father, thank you for being so gracious to us. Father, you are such a, a merciful God. Lord, you have forgiven a, each and every one of us here in this room of a, of a great debt, Lord, a debt that we could, we, we could never pay on our own. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and would, would, would his sacrifice be a just be impressed upon our hearts and our mind as we're seeking to, 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 to show another brother the right way or another sister to expose their sin? Will we be slow to this? Will we be humble in that process, looking at our own hearts first and, and examining our own hearts first? Again, the Jews in this day, they would have been like, man, I'm taking this to Sally. I'm, 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 I'm taking this to Mike. They need to hear this. But, but Jesus, at the heart of this, Jesus is saying, guys, look at your own life. You've been preaching the truth to them, and he just wanted them to examine it, first and foremost, for themselves. And Lord, I pray the same for us. In light of Jesus' sacrifice and dying for us, Father, will we examine our own lives and see whether or not we're being obedient before we approach another brother and sister in sin. And then when we do it, so will we make sure we're in the right spirit, that we're doing it with gentleness, Lord. And Lord, in closing, I just want to pray for those who are so obstinate to the truth. Father, you say don't put the pearls before them. You say don't put holy things before them, but you never tell us to not pray for them. So, Lord, I want to pray for them. I want to pray for those individuals who just reject your truth, who hate the gospel. Father, you and you alone can do a work in their life. And so, Father, we pray for them now. And it's in your son's name. Amen.